This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored. I am your host, Glenn Lossnizer. With me tonight is Ryan, the man you caught fucking on your couch, Moreland. How are you doing tonight, Ryan? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, my Relaxed? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing like <laughs> <laughs> really, really relaxed. Uh, my girlfriend, not so much, but, but I'm doing all right. Yeah, and you know Matt's not with us tonight. He's still out trying to pretend he's cool with what happened, but we know he's uh, considering pouring bleach into his eyes right now. <laughs> poor Matt. Matt, poor poor Matt. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and let Ryan take over for the mailbag segment here. Then we'll get into the news and talk a little football. All right, uh, the mailbag. You guys sent in some great questions this week, so let's jump right into them. First one here from Logan Gillespie. He asks, with free agency just around the corner, what two players would you want to target going into free agency? Honestly, I'm going defense, going A.J. Boye from the uh, Texans and Eric Berry. Whether they're signable or not isn't really the issue. Those are the two guys I would target looking at what's out there, what we need. Um, we have one in common here for sure. I went with A.J. Boye as well. You know, really fantastic player. We've seen him a lot, you know, as being a Texan. We've seen him play uh, his entire career and a fantastic young corner. I didn't go with Eric Berry, and it's a lot because of that price tag. And I know Eric Berry is a fantastic football player, and I like him a lot. I mean, what's not to like? But anybody with a high price tag like that normally scares me. So I went on the other side of the football, and Kamar Aiken, I think, is a guy that we can bring in at wide receiver who's going to be a solid player, solid addition without breaking the bank. Yeah, I wasn't worried about price tags so much on this one. I mean, there's other guys I wouldn't mind bringing on. Uh, even uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, I know he's getting towards the latter part of his career. He's only got three fingers. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, he's an effective pass rusher who could do us a lot of good in this vision. Yeah, given that we've got to take on Andrew Luck, and we didn't manage to do much against him this year, it'd be nice to have a really good pass rusher come in. But I think he's going to cost too much money and not be a, necessarily a great fit for us. But he's, he's somebody I would target at the right price. Eric Berry, he's on the list just because he solves an awful lot of problems in the back end. Realistically, we probably don't sign him. It's just it's going to be expensive. I I'm willing to let the Chiefs spend that money because I don't expect the Titans to. We could. We have the cash, but I just don't see us doing it. Well, Eric Berry, too, he already said that he will not play for the Chiefs on a franchise tag. If they franchise tag him, he just won't play. You know, So they have to show out the, the deal if they want to keep Eric Berry, which does make it a little bit more possible for other teams like us to, to get a chance at Eric Berry. But I have a feeling that, um, that he's not going to be leaving Kansas City anytime soon. No, I would agree. And, you know, the franchise tag is basically him saying he wants more security and more guaranteed money than he wants one big payday. 
he, he's not going to sign a you know a two year deal. They have to come back in and replay. He's going to look for that last contract to make it a big one. Right, that does change it a little bit, you know. And then he is at the age, and you know, you, as as terrible as it is to say, the cancer is always going to be in the back of general managers' minds because we know that he's in remission right now, but it can come back at any time. Um, and that's going to drive his price down, as, as terrible as that is. I mean, it's going to because of um, that's one factor, though. I mean, he's a great football player, so he's still going to get paid a, a you know shitload of money. But definitely one thing I know that general managers and coaches will be looking out for. Yeah, it's something that might find its way written into the uh, language of the contract. You know, uh, a little bit less than the guaranteed money or something like that. It's something that gives the team an out. That is like, terrible, though. Like, you could not feel good about yourself if you're the guy that's writing the cancer clause into a contract. No, you're going to feel like a bit of a dick. <laughs> At the same time, it is business. I mean, yeah, that's true. A, you know, there's a cold-hearted son of a bitch out there who's got no problem writing that clause. Now, when we make it big, I'm writing a cancer clause into both of your contracts. You and Matt both. So it's probably just a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see who we go after, but those. Are definitely, you know, some guys to be watching for to think about as we get closer to this free agency. William Rush writes this one in. He asks, "Who are two players that we think that you think might get traded away?" Two's an odd pick for a number there. I'm not sure where he came up with that, but let's just say, is there anybody on the team that you think will be traded away or has a good shot to be in that trade talk? Well, you see, to get traded away, you got to be under contract. Um... A guy like McCourty, it could possibly trade away because he's at the point where his value against his contract is less than what you would be looking for. But it also makes him really hard to trade. If we traded anybody, I think it would be a surprise player. You know, someone you didn't see coming, like a young guy they don't expect to keep or something. I really can't see anybody else they trade. Everybody that you would expect them to just get rid of is pretty much a free agent. So other than... Cersei or McCourty, I don't really see anybody else that just screams trade. McCourty was definitely the first to come to mind for me looking at this. And you're right. The first thing that you have to remember is they have to be under contract. Uh, most of the people that we're going to get rid of were free agents anyway. Or, you know, they they don't play well enough to garner a trade in the first place. Like, no one's going to trade for a player that they can, you know, wait until you cut and sign and give up nothing to sign the player, um, you know, that's obvious. So a McCourty's a guy that does have the talent to constitute a trade. You know, some teams are, could, you know, try to go after him, even though the, you know, health has been an issue for him. Still has been a very good cornerback in the league for a while. Um, and he's under contract. So that was the, the one that really came to mind for me. There isn't really a, a lot, though. I mean, it was... A struggle just to, after that was my first thought. And then Cersei I thought about for a little bit. Um, but really thinking, uh, there's no one else on this team that wouldn't be uh, like a surprise for me. You know, obviously they could trade away, you know, Marcus or, you know, DeMarco or something. But I don't see anything like crazy like that happening. So, yeah, it definitely has to be McCourty in my eyes is the most likely to be in a trade scenario. Yeah, I mean, after that you're talking uh, a young player who we all expect to contribute that they know they're going to draft someone to replace or they're going to bring somebody in to replace. If Eric Berry comes in, then maybe you do see a Cersei trade, but that's about what it's going to take. Uh, we don't have a deep team right now 
we're not deep at any position. So how are you going to trade any of these guys away? Um, anybody who's capable of really contributing and has any trade value, we desperately need. Agreed. Very well put. Heading into the next question, Glenn, this one's a two-parter. So us on the first part your way, and then we'll hit the second part. The first one, uh, bringing up a, a guy that we just talked about, Eric Berry. How do you feel about, about Eric Berry? Specifically, do you think he is worth the price that his recent play will command in free agency? You know, I, I feel Eric Berry is one of the top two or three safeties in the league. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a leader. He's emotional, but he's under control. He's a smart player. There's you can't run out of positive things to say about the guy. Uh, the negative being possible of a cancer remission. Uh, but other than that, you know, he's a fantastic player. I think he's worth the money he's going to get. But the team has to be willing to pony that up. Uh, this is a team that was, you know, we're going to build through the draft. We're going to sprinkle in a veteran here or there to fill in gaps and mentor young players. So if we brought an Eric Berry in, that could be there to help buy it out. Uh, he could be the leader of the secondary that McCourty's not going to be next year. You know, he's a guy I can see us bringing in. I don't know that we spend the money on him. He is, he's going to be expensive. And I said earlier that does make me worried a little bit, you know, like a guy that, that's going to be that expensive. But it would be anybody that's going to garner that kind of price tag makes you nervous. And just if you've been watching football and, you you know, you should have a little bit of cautiousness going into any um, – signing of a big name player because we've seen it got downhill I mean, look how good if you know for instance for titans fans look how amazing albert hainsworth was for us and then you know is this seeing him go i remember being devastated when we first see him you know leave and head to washington thinking about you know we just lost an absolute stud on this defensive line then he goes to washington and he's terrible i mean you know the rest of his career is as bad and that's why you never know. And they spent, was it, $92 million to bring no. him in? I mean, you just never know. And I don't think Eric Berry's that guy. But that's the same with any big contract like that. It's intimidating. But if Eric Berry plays, he's healthy. He's absolutely worth, worth what he's going to get. You're exactly right. He's top one or two safeties in the entire league. He's disruptive. And I think also you bring a guy like that in, a veteran like that, not only will he play his position, he'll play it well, but I think he'll make everybody, all the younger guys in this secondary better by being there, by getting to mentor them, really push them. You know, we saw with DeMarco in this offensive line, a similar kind of thing just on the back side of the offense rather than the back end of the defense rather rather than the back end of the offense. Yeah, the biggest thing, like with the Hansworth deal, it's all about fit. They They took a... 4-3 defensive tackle who's just an absolute monster. They put him in there as a nose tackle where all of a sudden he's eating double or triple teams every play and that neutralizes him. Your nose tackle in a 3-4 his main job is to stand there and clog up the middle and occupy blockers so that the linebackers can make plays. Haynesworth a playmaker that they put in a position where he couldn't make plays anymore. And that's the kind of danger you take with a free agent. You have to find that fit. It's like putting DeMarco Murray on the Eagles and then not running the right kind of uh, system for him. It's too easy to screw it up if you don't research your player, you don't run the system that fits him. Eric Berry, I think, could play in any defense. He can definitely play in ours. 
it's just a question. Do they want to spend that much money on a guy who's going to force Kevin Byard over to strong safety? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point there. Um, you know, I just – I think he's a fantastic football player. It'd be awesome to see him as a Titan. I don't want to make anybody think that's not how I feel, because it is how I feel. But literally anybody in the league that's going to garner that kind of money would intimidate me a little bit just because, you know, I've seen it gone bad before. As anybody who's paid attention to the NFL for a few years even, you know, you've seen it gone bad. You've seen how teams will sign a guy that's just seems like he's on fire and, and – you know, you never really hear from him again. Josh um, Norman. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, it's And a mixed match has a lot to do with that. You bring, like, a great point there. But it's just you never know. You know, health, obviously, a concern when it comes to any player. And then longevity. You know, he's a 28-year-old guy right now. How long is he going to play? And that really is going to determine a lot of how much you can pay him is how long do you think he will play. Um, but, you know... Luckily for us, we are out of the era of Rustin Webster and head-scratching decisions, and we are in, um, you know, an era with John Robinson where I think you see it like every day on the internet. It's like I would like this to happen, but I trust J. Rob. It seems like every post that you see is like I'd like to sign this guy, but if we don't, I trust J. Rob, and it's a good thing to have, you know, because we haven't had that in Tennessee in quite some time. Yeah, it's about time you could actually think about the general manager and not want to just punch somebody. <laughs> Rip that stupid mustache right off his face. <laughs> uh, but speaking of J-Rob, it brings up the second half of this question uh, by Brandon. He asks, given what we've seen out of John Robinson, do you believe that our general manager looks to shake it up as much as he did last season in this off season? Yes and no. He doesn't have to waive second-round draft picks this year. This year he gets to just not re-sign bad second-round draft picks. I don't know there's as much shaking up to do because they got rid of most of the people who didn't fit the mentality or the style of team they wanted last year. You'll, you'll see some free agents, obviously. But, again, it's going to build through the draft. I don't expect to be as many moves, just you know, things that are like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I don't think we'll see as much of that this year. You could still see a splash. I, I don't put it past J-Rob to bring in somebody who's big time. Just because he came from the uh, Patriots, who tend to just kind of fit everybody into a certain you know field. This is what you do. This is what you do. Nobody gets paid a lot of money. I don't know that J-Rob fully subscribes to that. You know, We'll find out in time. But I, I do not believe that he's going to make a lot of big, splashy signings. And there's not that much left to cut. So basically at this point, you're looking at people you don't bring back yeah I, I think you put it well there I think that you're gonna see him maybe make a, a big move or two maybe uh, but I, just, I don't see you think I don't think you see him go after big name players because I don't think that not a lot of teams have success doing that I don't think that's what J-Rob wants to do I don't think that's what you should do you build through the draft he comes from the Patriots New England, they always say you build through the draft. That's how Belichick's had all of his success. That's the system, and that's exactly how J-Rob you know, has shown so far that he believes. Now, you can't pick up guys to help out your team, and we did that last year you know, by just making probably the best deal of any kind in the NFL history, in my opinion, getting DeMarco Murray um, from the Eagles. 
I don't think you'll see anything. I like. I don't think you'll see Esco get Eric Berry. I don't think you'll see. I think a you know a AJ Bouye or Kamar Aiken, uh, a player of that caliber is probably the highest you're going to see us go after if we go after anybody. Um, I mean, of course we go after some people, but that's the highest I think. I don't think you'll see us go after anybody huge or throw a lot of money at anybody just because it's not the mentality that our team has that our general manager has. So that's why I don't think it's going to be as big of a splash this year. But, you know, we also have two first-round draft picks. You know, that's obviously something that's going to make split, that's going to make have people talking, have people excited, is you're going to bring in two first-rounders this year. You know, that's always something that you get to do maybe a few times in a franchise's history. We've seen teams do it a handful of times. It's just, it's going to be exciting in that aspect. So I think you'll see still a lot of excitement but as for shaking things up, I just don't think you're going to see it as much this year. We have more of a core built uh, for this team and less of a need to go out and get, you know, splashy kind of players. Yeah, I mean, and as you look through the list of free agents, you know, like the impact free agent list, there's just not that much out there this year. It's not a great free agent list. Uh, I'm just I'm kind of going down through here. Most of these guys are old at the end of their career or they never really built up to much. Or you got like you know we've talked about him before, Alshon Jeffrey. He if you could get past the baggage, he's a great player, but he needs some he needs a team around him, which I think we could give him. But you you got to put somebody on the other side of him to pull the attention away from him, and just can you trust him to stay you know on the team the whole year? Um, is is he going to end up being hurt and missing three weeks or you know or whatever else? I just I don't see free agents. And I think the reason that Eric Berry keeps coming up, you know, besides being a Tennessee boy, is that there's just not much out there. I mean, we all know that Le'Veon Bell is not going to hit the free agent market. Uh, we wouldn't pay that much for a running back, given the running back that we have right now either. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, he's going to hit the market, but he's not going to be worth the money he's going to be asking for. It's just, you know, it's not going to be an exciting free agent period. I think, like Ryan just said, it's it's going to be what they do with the draft picks. If they hold them both, and also we got two first round draft picks. I think we all kind of expect a trade. We're just not sure if it's the first pick or the second pick. And, you know, what happens with that is going to be the more exciting part. Absolutely. And, you know, I know Matt loves him from Alshon Jeffrey. It's basically his favorite player. So I know he's really looking forward to going after him, but I just don't know if it's the right move or not. <laughs> you know, either that or Eric Gordon, one of the two. <laughs> exactly. Um,. No, I, yeah, I agree. They, there's still going to be an exciting off season, so like I don't want to get people discouraged or anything. Having two first round picks, I I agree with you. I think that we're going to trade back and get a second round with one of those picks, which makes it even more exciting. And plus, you know, last year we were in an off season where we had a guy come in, shake things up, but you still were going into the season thinking like, all right, we're a lot better team. You know, but we we won like five games in the last two seasons. You know, so a lot better is still you know not great. Uh, you know, but this off season we're expecting to go only get better from here, and we barely missed the playoffs as a nine win team. So, you know, you're also building off of a you know a nice foundation. So there's more to be excited about. You know, more excitement, more buzz. It's a Fun time to be a Titans fan, that's for sure, because I think the next couple of years it's only going to get better. 
Um, but let's move on to the last one here. Jay Russell sends this one in, and the fun question here. Um, in 1997, the Broncos win the Super Bowl. In 1998, the Falcons lost the Super Bowl. And then in 1999, of course, the Titans lose the Super Bowl to the Rams by a yard. Fast forward to now, and the Broncos won Super Bowl 50. The Falcons lost Super Bowl 51. So it's basically fate that Tennessee will go back to the Super Bowl next season, correct? <laughs> as long as we don't lose, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so some of those parallels like that, they're, they're fun to see. They don't mean a whole lot, but I'm all for it. You know, I am just fine with that being an uh, actual pattern that's built into the universe. I will take another Super Bowl trip. Absolutely. You know, it, uh, it would be awesome. And I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it holds no water. It doesn't mean anything. But it is uh, kind of a neat look. And if we do make it, then, you know... Um, be pretty wild then you see history repeat itself like that but um you know definitely something neat i've seen it float around for on a couple of the pages i've seen it on titans tennessee titans uncensored i've seen people posting it and stuff a pretty interesting stat hopefully it's true hopefully it holds up and we do end up playing in the super bowl next year but i don't think i would put money down just yet <laughs> well you know i'll put your money down there you go since Matt's not on the show tonight, he'll be picking up the tab for everybody's bets this week. So just send him a direct message and, and he'll get back. There you go. All right, that's all we have for the mailbag, though. Thanks, everybody, who sent in a question this week. Uh, be sure every week to find us on Facebook, on our Facebook page, Two-Tone Uncensored. And we always put a post in Tennessee Titans Uncensored, the Facebook page. So if you know you're in there... Uh, you'll see the post. You can comment your questions so we can get to them each and every week. We love hearing what you guys have to ask and what all you what guys are interested in knowing. But that's all we have for the mailbag. Hey, guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Etcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk with crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Let's head into the news. and So, Glenn, what do you have for us this week? Well, the Super Bowl was a bore fest. No one really enjoyed it. Most people turned it off about the third quarter. 
and missed the greatest comeback of all time. You know, so there is that. But going off of the Super Bowl, you know, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on, the 49ers went ahead and made Kyle Shanahan their official head coach. We all watched as the Falcons put down an epic choke job in the third and fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Is this still a good hire? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, he's a fantastic um, young coach, uh, a guy that has a lot to like on his resume. You know, he has the NFL pedigree. Of course, his dad, you know, is a Super Bowl winning coach. Yeah, there's a lot to like there. And it does suck for them that they lost that game, especially being up, you know, by 25 points to lose the Super Bowl. You know, but uh, this Patriots defense was a pretty solid defense. And they had to get up by 25 points, which was Shanahan's doing. And, you know, the week before that, um, embarrassed the Packers. And just this season, they've been the, obviously, you know, the best offense in football. And you've shown it week in and week out. He really deserves to get uh, a shot at a head coaching job. And, um, yeah, I still think it's a really good hire for them, even though they, they blew a, a, a pretty outstanding lead. Did you find yourself this week explaining a lot to your non-Titans uh, friends out there that because that you always as soon as the game was over they were like it's the you know the largest comeback in Super Bowl history and I heard a lot of people say largest comeback in postseason history and I found myself saying a lot no no it's not <laughs> no and then the half they relived all of the pain of explaining why it wasn't i found that, that happening a few times over the weekend thankfully i did not um I, I didn't even bring it up as i was explaining to my wife that this was the largest comeback in you know super bowl history um i just i didn't even want to think about it honestly this is probably the most horrible comeback loss i've ever seen because of how bad it felt for uh, the Falcons fans, you know, obviously the Titans fans, Oilers fans, I will never forget 93. I will never forget that pain. It destroyed our team. It destroyed the, you know, the fact that the Oilers are no longer in Houston. I put on this, on that 93 game, because Bud Adams tore the team apart after that. Uh, he said, if we don't do it this year, I'm going to tear the whole damn thing apart. And he not only did it, he did it so spectacularly well that the fans in Houston wanted no part of getting the Oilers a new stadium, and that's why we have the Titans today. Uh, it was that was a brutal loss, but we also weren't up, you know, a huge amount in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. That loss right there that broke so many hearts uh, of the Falcons fans, and I'm sure they hurt just as bad as we did. It, it was just it, it's the worst loss I think I've ever seen. And it's, you know, not 1A to 1B, which is the 93 game. It's This is the worst. The 93 game is now the second worst because it wasn't the Super Bowl. You, you, you weren't 15 minutes from glory. You're now forever shamed. You have to deal with people saying you're the game that put Tom Brady over the top as the greatest of all time. Uh, it, it, that was a brutal, brutal loss. Absolutely, I you know, I definitely agree with you because of what the game means. It's definitely a worse loss. Um, now I can't imagine what it'd be like right now to be a, a Falcons fan. It, it just devastated. You know, they came out and they just dominated right off the bat. Got out to a commanding lead, 
and really, you know, it boils down to that one drive and then the, you know, the coin toss, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But the one drive, you know, if they don't get the sack and then, you know, get pushed back and keeps them out of field goal range, that doesn't happen. They stay in field goal range, kick a field goal, they win. Like, it's, that's the game. And But uh, there's a lot that you can point to. You can never just point to one drive and say, like, that's the game. Because like, they could have done a lot of different things. You know, could have done almost anything and still right. won that game. <laughs> I remember uh, right when they got the turnover, and I was like, "Wow, they eight minutes left in this game." And I'm watching the game with my dad, and I was like, eight minutes left. If they score, uh, you know, two touchdowns and get the two point conversions on both of those touchdowns, they tie the game." And my dad just looked at me, and goes, "Yeah, but I mean, they're not going to do that." That almost never happened. <laughs> and then, you know, One of time. course, you know, we watch it a lot, like play out on live TV. I told, you know, my girlfriend kind of, she understands football, but just like how crazy this comeback was and how monumentous, uh, you know, it really is and stuff. And I was like, if someone wrote this as a screenplay for a football movie, it would get sent back and be like, no, you got to make it realistic. Like that's how unreal this comeback was, and uh, you know, fantastic come back to because I, me and you were on those message each other back and forth talking about how boring the game was and then all of a sudden you know we're watching one of the most exciting if not the most exciting Super Bowl I've ever seen uh, you know the, the pretty awesome the way it ended up for everybody not a Falcons fan because you got to either watch your team win or watch great football for everybody who's not a uh, Patriot fan but the one thing I wanted to like talk to you about is Real quick, we can bring it up. After watching that last night, or you know the other night, they flipped the coin and the overtime. Of course, the Patriots get it. Just drive down the field, score a touchdown. Do you think that this is another call that the NFL needs to adjust the overtime rules? No. Uh, the fact that they made it so you can't win by a field goal on the first drive anymore, that was good enough for me. Uh, it doesn't have to be like college. Uh, I like that if you go down the field, you score a touchdown, you can still win the game. If the Falcons had gone to the field and scored the touchdown, there'd be a lot fewer people questioning whether we should be changing the rule or not. Uh, just everybody hates the Patriots except for the Patriots fans, largely because they win too damn much. You know, the fact that they won again off of that rule, it doesn't really bother people throughout the you know the season or anything else until it's the Patriots winning the game because of it. Uh, I'm just fine with the rules. I like them. As long as you can't win by a field goal without the other team getting a chance to have, possess the ball, I'm okay. I, I'm a little bit different, you know, and it's not just Patriot hate. I, I say it all the time because I think that overtime in college football is not only more fair but far more interesting. Um, I, overall, just a much, much better system uh, in my eyes at least. And, and that's for me, that's why... I think it should be changed. This was just another example for me, you know, of uh, an opinion that I already had. You know, just uh, just another example to throw on top of it as why it should happen. But you know, it's still you know you can still bring up the point that you know they did win the toss, but Atlanta's defense could have come out and stopped them there, and that would have been. You know, a different football game. It's still, it's not like you win the, you know, it's not like there's points that go on the board as soon as the ground, coin hits the ground. The team still has to go out there and drive down the field and score. 
Uh, and, you know, Atlanta had a chance to stop them from doing that and obviously absolutely could not stop them. Um, so it's still a fair outcome. I'm not questioning the outcome. I just, man, if you watch that game go into a college football-like overtime last night, I just think as good as a game as it was, and it was a fantastic game, it would have amped it up to a new height. Like, it would have been unbelievable to watch. Yeah, I don't think the outcome would have been any different. Uh, it, to me, it looked like the Falcons were just exhausted on defense. They almost didn't get off the field the entire game. Uh, the Falcons, for all the points they scored, they did it really fast. They did it off of turnovers. Their defense played a lot. Yeah, I don't think it changes the outcome. And you could definitely see momentum was all on New England's side. Um, New England definitely looked a lot more fresh, as you were saying, and, and more prepared, more ready. I mean, it just seemed overall like they wanted to be out there in that field at that point. And, and um, the, the exact opposite seemed to be true for their opponents. And, the, you know, Falcons just looked dead. They looked disinterested. Um, you know, they, it just didn't seem like – that definitely seemed like a different team first half to second half. And you can say that about both squads, really. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, just, it's one of the facts of life. It, if part of your team gets worn down, you can see it coming, and you're just praying the clock runs out before you get there, and your offense keeps going up there and just not doing anything. I, I think the whole Falcons bench about midway through that fourth quarter were like, what the fuck is happening to us right now? Are we actually going to lose this game this way? And yeah, no one really believed it, but they were getting frustrated. They could see it coming. We, I mean, we've all seen the damn movies. We, we watched Bobby Boucher come back at halftime and win the Bourbon Bowl. We've seen this happen. <laughs> you know, so the the fact that you know they didn't roll out Gronk and you know win the game with them, it doesn't change the fact that everybody could see it happening. And I, I really think the pay, the uh, Falcons players saw it coming. And just couldn't figure out a way to make it work where they could not lose that game at that point. How much of this loss um, for the Falcons do you blame on conservative play calling in the second half? Oh, man, I don't know that I placed a lot of it on that. I don't think it was a play calling failure. Uh, just I, I think that the uh, weight of the uh, the weight of the moment caught up with them and they were coming down off their high. They gave a lot you know, early on to, to build up that lead. And they were riding high, they had all the adrenaline, and as that adrenaline started wearing off, I just don't know how much gas they had left in the tank at that point. You can get too excited about winning and lose. Uh, we, we saw it this week. It's just it's one of those things where if you get too high too early and you start to come down as the other team's still ramping up, you, know, you, you can lose a fight just that easy. I don't. I see. For me, I, the defensive play calling I thought was still aggressive. Um, for me, I think it was exactly for the defense. It was just getting gassed. The, I, I thought the play calling was good. You know, they were still getting after uh, Brady, and you saw it even at the end of the game. They were still putting pressure, but it's just they were gassed. You know, by that time they were. It was so tired that it was hard for them to, you know, to get the kind of results that they were getting at the beginning of the football game. But on offense, I do. I some of the blame I think does go to it, and that you know, as we were saying earlier, I still think a lot of Kyle Shanahan. But I think that they got a little vanilla, you know, a little predictable and a little 
conservative on offense, and I think that that I wouldn't say the leading cause, but definitely played a factor in them losing this game. Well, you you always kind of see that in in this situation. It's either the offense was stayed too aggressive and kept making mistakes, or else the offense got too conservative trying to use up the clock and rest the defense. It, it's always you can always point at something. Uh, when you lose this way, you didn't do something right, and you usually end up pointing back at the coaches. But uh, you know, I, I wasn't upset with the play calling. I just felt like the focus had been lost a little bit. They weren't executing because they, they were still trying to run a lot of the same stuff. They just weren't being as flashy about it. And, and again, you have to give some credit to the uh, Patriots for making them vanilla, uh, taking away receivers, focusing on the run, just staying true to their uh, to their lanes and shutting down the running game. And just the Falcons couldn't stay on the field. And I think that that's still all their rhythm, too. Uh, we, when you spend most of a game sitting on the sidelines watching, I mean, there was a point, uh, I think that this is right, I think I remember them saying it was almost an hour between uh, drives for the uh, Falcons at one point, which is just insane. And part of that is just the Super Bowl. Uh, incredibly long timeouts, long halftime show. Everything stacks up against the team with the momentum going into halftime in the Super Bowl because you're too high, you're partying too much, you're too happy, and then you finally get a chance to go back out there. The other team's just been sitting over there just game planning and stewing on the fact that they're losing. Yeah, that, I mean that plays a huge factor in it too, and it's it plays a, a factor in the fatigue of it as well. It, you know, it, it's hard to stay loose and stay warm on those long breaks, long timeouts, long um, halftime, like you said, of course, with the halftime shows. Uh, but it's also not only is it it's hard getting cold, warming back up, getting cold, warming back up, uh, hard on your body. But holding momentum, and as we saw, you know, it was definitely um, a t- two different teams, you know, that we saw, and momentum definitely shifted, and it has, it has to do with that. You know, it's hard to keep momentum going when you have that long break, when you're sitting in the locker room at halftime for 40 minutes, you know, that it takes a huge impact on, you know, carrying that momentum over, and you know, you saw Atlanta Falcons team that went from, like, you know, super jacked and pumped up for this game to, you know, they're kind of like, oh, okay, we'll you know, play the rest of this football game. And, you know, the, you saw kind of almost the opposite um, with the Patriots. And, I mean, it's a it's a long game. You know, but I don't think people, a lot of people think about that, how much different it is from, a, you know, a normal game, from a championship game even. It's, you know, the Super Bowl's a long game, and to carry that momentum – you know, make sure you're not fatigued. It's a you know a totally different animal than any other game that you play throughout the year. And also the fact that there's you know the timeouts happen almost middle of your drive. They don't care. Whereas the rest of the time they kind of wait till there's a lull in play, and then they go to a timeout. In the Super Bowl, it's all about making money for the league. You know, the, the absolutely t- uh, timeouts are happening, the shows are happening, the commercials are happening. The the game is almost secondary to the NFL. Uh, they wanted it to be a good game. They wanted it to have good ratings, but you know, as good as this game was, and it turned into the greatest Super Bowl comeback of all time, the ratings were still down this year because the game was so flat to start with. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's the fact that you had such an experienced team that knew they could come back and win that went out there and, and you know, like they always say, just did their job, and they fought their way back in, they fought their way back in, and they won the game in overtime for the first time ever in a Super Bowl. 
Uh, just an insane game. Um, you know, and speaking of Kyle Shanahan and the way he called that, you know, the fourth quarter, uh, they, you know, he's going to, uh, he's going to San Francisco, his replacement, Steve Sarkeesian, um, ousted from, uh, USC, you know, banned in shame mid season, went, went over to the, uh, Crimson Tide this last year, lost to Clemson in the national championship game. And now he's coming over to take over the offensive play calling for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that's that's quite a turnaround from shunned and banned and just you know the the fall from grace that he took, you know, leaving USC to rising up to the national championship game, and now he's in the NFL as an offensive coordinator, taking over the most powerful offense in the NFL this last season. Before we get into the type of coaches that they are, just how shocking is that reversal of fortune and how quickly, you know, people forget, you know, that, you know, he was a guy that was just untouchable and was shameful and people kind of ripped Alabama for bringing him on. Uh, blew my mind. We, we talked a little bit before we started this show and I was like, surprising, right? Like as soon as we got on, it's just, um, you know, he's, he's been a good coach at Washington. Uh, was successful there. Went to USC, had, you know, I mean, it wasn't terrible. That team was decent before the short time he was there. But, you know, then, of course, troubles with alcohol. His problems with alcohol and uh, really caught up with him, and that pushes him out of USC. Then comes in Alabama as an analyst, and then um, the offensive coordinator, you know, taking over for Lane Kiffin in that championship game that ended up losing. And then, of course, now right back into Atlanta. So it's you see him derail his career, like you said, this untouchable, and completely derail his career in 2015. And now just, you know, just barely into 2017, he's right back up on top. You Normally you just you don't see him, people come back this quickly from – Big, especially how I mean, it was a national news story that this guy's, you know, a drunk and he doesn't know he can't stay uh, off of booze and and that is affecting his career and he still can't stay. I mean, it was like a national story. Not saying anything bad about the guy because he was a good coach. He's probably a great person. I don't know, uh, but that was a national headline. Was you know, Steve Sarkeesian, yeah, uh, can't stay sober. It's affecting his work. Now he's getting fired. And just two years, not even two years go by, and the guy's got, you know, probably one of the most sought-after non-head coaching positions in the entire NFL this year, uh, you know, taking over an offense that's already fantastic with great running backs, a great quarterback, the best wide receiver in the league. I mean, there's nothing not to love about that job. It's... I mean, I hope them the best, and I wish him the best. I hope he does well, but really blew me away. And he's not a guy that has an unbelievable resume either, where it's like, oh, well, you know, he does this, but, man, is he fantastic. Like, he's he's been good in college, never really proved himself in the NFL ever. So, uh, really, yeah, it did really shock me. It shocked me too. And, you know, it's how, how you go from dismissed and disgrace – to national championship game to Super Bowl, you know, team. It's just that's an incredible turnaround. It's just I don't think I've ever seen anything like it 
for particularly for a guy that doesn't have just the most incredible pedigree. Uh, he's been a good coach, but he's not amazing. If he's over his, you know, drinking, okay, fine. He's got his, you know, hundred eighty day chit or whatever. That that doesn't mean he's really done. And you just handed him the reins to the most potent offense in the NFL. That's a hell of a turnaround. Uh, but the next thing I thought about on this, on this is, you know, he's a completely different offensive mind than Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Shanahan, he's a zone blocker like his dad that worked the field, and Sark is a lot more of a downhill running conservative passing game kind of a coach. So it's a really a different look. Do you think that he changes and runs more of Kyle's system, which, you know, is, would be unusual, or does he try to take this team that was built to run zone uh, with running backs that are designed for getting cutback lanes? Do you think he tries to turn them into more of a gap blocking road grading team? I think you're going to see, um, Sarkeesians run more of a Shanahan kind of a system because you, you you can change the system of a team. Obviously, we see teams take different systems all the time, but you don't do it while you're a contender. You do it in the rebuilding of a team. Uh, you know that's when you change systems. You don't do it while you're a contender. They have all of the pieces to be a fantastic offense in this offense. That they run. Of course, it's going to be different. You know, Sharkeesian's going to put his own spin on it, but he's going to be expected to run a similar offense. You know, the zone blocking that you were talking about, because all of everybody on this team, they're set up to do it. And they're, you know, there's definitely no question that they're going to be one of the favorites for, you know, the Super Bowl at the beginning of next year with the way they played the played this season you know as close as they were to winning a super bowl so you can't change it now you just don't make that drastic of a change on a team that's this good you change a team while they're down um i think he puts his own spin on it but he plays far more uh of a they keep the zone running game they keep or so sorry they keep the zone blocking they keep uh, you know, this running game that's off the edges rather than, you know, up the middle, up the gut and downhill. They, you know, they're going to keep the Atlanta Falcons offense pretty similar to what it was this year. I don't expect you to see too many changes. I think that's probably the right answer. Uh, it always scares me just when it, when it comes down to that last minute, you know, of the, the offensive coordinator making a play call like, okay, we, we got to do this. And it's not what you're used to seeing them do. We, we saw Matt Ryan kind of, you know, not not blend real well with Kyle Shanahan that first season. And then this year he figures out how it works, and the team just absolutely takes off. And now they've got a new offensive coordinator again. It's a really rough blend to keep changing your offensive coordinator. They talk about it with young quarterbacks all the time, how, you know, like we kept Malarkey around for the continuity for Marcus's development. And here they are, you know, they're losing their offensive coordinator. They're bringing in a completely different type of guy. How well is he going to blend with a team that's the opposite style of what he used to run? And how well is his quarterback going to react, who has shown in the past that sometimes he's willing to uh, not get along for the betterment of everybody else? You know what's mind-blowing again with this hire is I'm looking up uh, Sarkeesian stuff right now 
He has one stint in the NFL ever, and he was for one season in 2004. He was the Raiders' quarterback coach, and that's the only time he's coached at the NFL level before. So this will be his second ever NFL job, and he's going to be the offensive coordinator of the most potent offense in the National Football League. I mean, just pretty mind blowing. It's it's kind of the uh, how did this guy get this job? Like how did Jeff Fisher keep his job? Like what has he got <laughs> on the world that that he's getting to, to not just rise back up? but to excel beyond where he ever was before after such a horrible fall from grace. Uh, I just, I'm really stunned by it. Uh, I wish the guy well. I wish the Falcons as well as much as I care to wish any other NFL team well, you know, uh, but it, it's a really a strange signing to me. Absolutely. You know, the, I, the one thing I wanted to add just to tag onto the Super Bowl real quick, because uh, I don't have much more to say about it, but the one thing I wanted to add on was, um, just how impressive it is, as much as I hate the Patriots, just how impressive it is that, you know, to get to seven, to win five as a player, as a coach, um, you know, I hope we're one day at that point, uh, you know, I hope we get there, but it is, it's unbelievable, I think Belichick right now is the unquestioned best coach of all time, I think Brady's the best quarterback of all time now, hard to question those, so just credit where credit's due. But uh, hopefully Brady only holds that title for a little bit and a, a certain Hawaiian takes it from him here in a, in a few years. That would be nice to see. You know, and you know, to your point, leading up into the game, Brady did not test the uh, downfield passes very much. I think he threw maybe two or three that were deeper than 20 yards. Uh, you know, and, and until late in the fourth quarter, they, just, they weren't trying to go anywhere with that ball. Uh, but you, you, you can't deny that in a time when we thought dynasties were over, you know, no, no more dynasties, free agencies in play. Now uh, there's a salary cap. It's a think that all of a sudden, you know, we have the most dominant dynasty we've ever seen. It speaks a lot about, you know, the, the Patriot way about their coach, about their quarterback. They're, they're just, they're an amazing team. You have to give them credit. And we can all hope that, you know, we enter the conversation with them. You know, during Marcus's career, absolutely. You know, the, I was I was talking about it with a couple of friends of mine who are Patriots fans, and it's just a. Not only is this, you know, it's a great dynasty that we have, but this dynasty's lasted, well, like fourteen years, fifteen years now. Uh, I mean, most dynasties you see, like they won three out of four. You know, they won, um, you know, three out of three, maybe something like that. You know, in different sports, we've seen four. Um, Maybe like four out of eight, four out of six, something like that. But to be on top and be a competitor, a true contender every year for, what, 15, 14, 15 years, whatever it's been now, is just, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's been 15 years from their first Super Bowl win with Tom Brady to now their fifth, and they've been a contender every single year in between there, even the year that Tom Brady missed the whole season in 2007, I believe it was, they were still a contender. So just completely mind-blowing to be able to pull that off, especially in the age of free agency. You know, uh, something just came up here that I just saw. The Steelers released Justin Gilbert today. Uh, he was a, what, eighth overall in 2014. You know, a fantastically talented player. 
so, some of the comments I've seen that you know he, he's burned out or he doesn't really care about football. But is that a guy that you look at as possibly bringing in? I don't know, man. I, my first reaction was like, I don't want him. Um, like initial reaction, just because lately he hasn't been playing well. Um, I, I just I've not really seen it from him. I don't know. I, that's and then is it, what's he going to demand too? Is it, if he's coming in humble and hungry and willing to take you know that I'd be even re- to give him a really decent contract, but it's all incentives. I would be okay oh, with that. I would, I would be in love with that idea. But if we can get him for really cheap or, or a super incentivized contract, then I'm for it. But if we, you can't get him at that like low price point, then it's just really not worth it. Because I just think he hasn't really proven to me a whole lot since he entered the league. Um, and this last season, he did not look good. No, but you know he's got the physical ability. You know, he ran a four three seven forty. You know, he, he played well enough to be a, a high draft pick. Uh, I watched him play in college. I wasn't terribly impressed with him even then. I thought that uh, he was as much a product of the, the fact that the teams were throwing the ball his direction more than they should be than anything else. But at the same time, I'd be willing to give the guy a shot. You know, he's a ex-Pittsburgh player, so that's going to, you know, get LeBeau hard. Uh, there's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what his real problem is. The fact that the... Steelers are willing to cut him loose on his rookie contract and eat dead money. It's really a damning thing. Um, it's one of those things where, like, you know what? We'll just take the salary cap hit just to not have you around our football team anymore. Whether he learns something from that or not, I don't know. Uh, maybe, you know, we bring him in here and he ends up getting cut in the preseason with us. But uh, he, he's a guy that the physical ability and his ability as a return man definitely piques my interest. Do you see what. Uh... Joe Thomas had to say about it. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, uh, they're questioning whether or not he even likes playing football. Yeah, his direct quote was, "If you don't like football, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Your star will burn out quick." Mm-hmm. Talking about um, to Gilbert, and you know, he's had the, a little bit of trouble in the past. He had the suspension. Like um, like me and you both said, if we can get him a, a good price point or a really incentivized contract, it'd be worth bringing him in. You know, we have to take. Uh, some chances, I think, every now and again, especially in places of weakness. Because if it works out, say we draft somebody and Gilbert ends up turning out, then, you know, there it is. We have a fantastic secondary, and we're going to start making Super Bowl pushes. And if it doesn't, doesn't come that much, get rid of him. You still have other guys there that, you know, can come in and do this. Every now and then, you got to take a risk in order to be a really good football team. And that one's a pretty calculated risk if you can get them down to a certain amount of money. Yeah, it would definitely be a Patriots move to take a guy that's, you know, or a Patriots or the old times uh, Raiders for that matter. Take the guy who's been ostracized, kicked out that nobody wants and bring him in, make him feel proud again and, you know, put him to work and go win with him. And like you said, if he came in and he worked out, that would be awesome. Um, if we just made him a return man, you know, I'd be okay with it at the right price. You know, it, it's the kind of flyer that you have to take on a, if you're going to risk paying somebody an incentivated contract to come in and prove themselves. I'd rather do it with somebody young. You know, he's, he's 25. He's blazingly fast. He hasn't been beat up in the NFL. If you're going to take a chance, that's a guy that I would bring in at the contract. 
uh, like you said. But that's, it's, it's always a question of contract. With uh, Blackman, whenever he was out there in Jacksonville, I would have taken a flyer on him. We, we all knew that his head was not in football at all. And it may be that Gilbert's isn't either. You know, it may be an OSU thing. But (laughs) throw in the elbow there a little bit. You you got to get your shots where you can take them. They they have a tendency to produce, you know, really capable players who just don't give a fuck. You know, know, it's good enough to win you a few games in college, but not quite get a conference championship. So, yeah. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, he's a guy that, you know, having just now seen that, that I, I would be interested in bringing in as well. If you're not looking at the Eric Berry price tag, then you know that's a guy that you take a chance on. And if he doesn't work out, you cut him later. No big deal. Absolutely. You know, take a flyer on him on a one-year deal. But it depends on what he thinks he's worth. That's the problem in the NFL is, is not what he's worth or you know what price he could command. It's what he thinks he's worth that normally uh, stops deals from getting made a lot of times and and especially in the free agency where it's so player friendly where you see guys that are average players end up getting paid you know top level uh you know top dollar in the nfl at their position um and you see it constantly because it's you know free agency is definitely player friendly but that's about all we have for the show uh, don't forget still running the promotion with hang 10 apparel if you go into their site, hangtn.com, they have some really great stuff. Titans gear, it's one of a kind. You can only find uh, on their website. Use the promo code 2TONE, in all capitals, one word, 2TONE, uh, to save 10% off of any purchase from their store. They sell some really great stuff, man. I have a, uh, a sweatshirt from them that has Mike Keith's There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Across the sweatshirt of a Mari Goda t-shirt that I got from them. They do have some really great stuff, so definitely check it out. Well, we'll be back next week. We're getting more into, uh, you know, in the off-season stuff. We're going to get definitely more draft-oriented and get into more stuff here. We threw out a short show this week, but we promise there's definitely more coming down the pipe. Absolutely. Uh, and with that, we'll say good night and tighten up. Tighten up! Podbean. I do. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook. Facebook.